Happy New Year, everybody. It's great to see you guys all. Uh, As Jeff just said, we're starting a new sermon series today, and it's called Make Room. I was, is it Making Room or Make Room? It's Make Room uh, is the name of the series. And what we're doing is actually similar to what we did at the beginning of last year. Last year, we, we kicked off the year by talking about one of the cornerstone values that sort of defines this community and this church, which was, it's not about me. If you remember that, that's one of our key values because we want to be a community of humility, a community that is not focused on ourselves and our own advancement and all that. We, we want to serve others the way that Christ serves us. and and gives of himself. Well, we're starting this year with the second cornerstone value of Grace Church, which is make room. And I'm just going to read you how we define that that value. What we say is, uh, we make room at Grace Church. We will become a spiritual family that doesn't look the same, doesn't think the same, doesn't talk the same, or have the same age or abilities. And then it goes on, we will invite one another into full love and participation in the diverse and inclusive kingdom of God. This is the value that that defines us. And realistically, the way when we kind of recapitulated these values, when we kind of redefined these values, what we were doing over the last couple years is just basically calling out what are the things that we see that already define Grace Church. We're already a church that, that makes room. We're already a church that values it's not about me. But what we're doing with these sermon series is seeing if we can take these values to the next level, if we can go deeper and really understand what what is God calling us to as a community? Who is he calling us to be? And so we're going to talk about this value, make room for about seven total weeks. It's going to be a really, really important uh, really good series. And today, I just want to kind of give us a very big picture uh, view of where we get this idea in the first place. So before we dive into scripture, let me pray for us, and then we'll start the series. Well, Father God, thank you for this new year. Thank you for this, this what often feels like a new beginning, starting a new year fresh. Um, I am hopeful, Father, in these moments that we spend together through the month of January and beginning into February, that we would experience a glimpse of what you would have for us as a community. I pray that we would catch a a, a vision and a a fire in our hearts for becoming a community that resembles your kingdom uh, more and more every single day, specifically in the room that we make for one another. And so, Father, uh, as we go through this series and and even today as, as, as I'm sharing, would you just just fill us with your Holy Spirit's voice. I pray that, that I would just get out of the way and that your Holy Spirit would remain. I pray that we would listen and we would be changed to better reflect your kingdom. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So, here's what I want to do. I want to walk you through a couple of significant moments in Scripture that, to me, uh, help us see the broad storyline of, of what it means to be a community that makes room for one another. It's, it's deeply embedded in Scripture, and I'm going to show you uh, where I see that and why I believe that. Um, so I, I'm going to just start by reminding us all that if you look at the whole narrative of Scripture, it starts uh, with a man named Abraham, or really it starts with Garden of Eden, and then there's the fall and the breaking down of, of the world. But God chooses Abraham, or Abram, as he's called before he gets his name changed, and he tells him, I am going to bless the world. I'm going to heal the world essentially through you, through your, you and your family. I'm going to bless the world, and, and every nation on earth is going to be blessed through you. 
And so the entire story of the people of Israel is based on this promise that God is going to use the Israelites to bless the world, to heal the nations. And and there's always this idea that someday all the nations will be one, will be healed, will be together. The problem is that the Israelites, Abraham's, you know, his his descendants, they don't do such a good job of this. And most of the Old Testament is a grand adventure in them missing the point. And and they are not a blessing to the world. In fact, they are uh, representing and even furthering some of the brokenness in this world. And yet, and yet, this vision of God healing the world, bringing the nations together through Abraham's descendants, It's everywhere in scripture, and the prophets especially, the Old Testament prophets, held on to this vision, and they wanted their listeners to see that this was still where things were headed, even though it sure looked like everything had gone completely off the rails, okay? So I'm gonna read you a passage, probably one of my favorite passages in my favorite book of the Bible, in Isaiah 60. So feel free to look along with me, but we're gonna kinda bounce around a bit. So Isaiah 60, Uh, a little bit of context. I told you things kind of fell off the rails. Well, they really, really did for the Israelites because they had become so uh, corrupt, they had become so uh, twisted as a country, that, as, a, as a nation, that they ended up getting uh, invaded by Babylon and Assyria, and their people were, were carried off into exile far from home. So Isaiah 60, it takes place after the exile. People have kind of, a few people have begun to come back to Israel and try to rebuild, but man, it's not the same as it was before. And it really felt to them a lot like there was no hope. Remember last uh, weekend at, at Christmas Eve, we talked about the, the land that's covered in darkness and they're waiting for a bright light. They're still waiting at this point. And you'll, you'll see some of that same imagery coming up here. So let me read this. In, in Isaiah 60, uh, Isaiah has this vision of something significant happening. He says, arise, Jerusalem. Let your light shine for all to see. For the glory of the Lord rises to shine on you. There it is again, the light of the world. Darkness as black as night covers all the nations of the earth, but the glory of the Lord rises and appears over you. All nations will come to your light. Mighty kings will come to see your radiance. Look and see, for everyone is coming home. Your sons are coming from distant lands. Your little daughters will be carried home. Your eyes will shine and your heart will thrill with joy for merchants from around the world will come to you. They will bring you the wealth of many lands. Vast caravans of camels will converge on you, the camels of Midian and Ephah. The people of Sheba will bring gold and frankincense and will come worshiping the Lord. The flocks of Kedar will be given to you. The rams of Nebaioth will be brought for my altars. I will accept their offerings and I will make my temple glorious. And what do I see flying like clouds to Israel, like doves to their nests? They're the ships from the ends of the earth, from lands that trust in me, led by the great ships of Tarshish. They're bringing the people of Israel home from far away, carrying their silver and gold. They will honor the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has filled you with splendor. With splendor. Now, I think this is a beautiful image. And again, in case you kind of got lost in all these like rams of Nebaioth and stuff like that. The picture is just this. Jerusalem, this city which, remember, when Isaiah is speaking this prophecy, was in tatters. It was not the the same glory it used to have. The image is that this city with the temple, with God's presence in the middle of it, is now the epicenter of all the world. Everybody's coming coming to this place. And all of these different names are actually hints to the idea that, uh, you know, we've got people like, like, 
these Arabian tribes coming up from, from the uh, southeast, right? And then you've got the, uh, Lub- Lebanon is mentioned down in like verse 13, we didn't read that, but Lebanon is a mountain range north of Israel, and they, they're bringing down these big lumber and trees from Lebanon. And then you've got the ships of Tarshish coming from the Mediterranean Sea from the, from the west. And so in this image, all of the world, from all directions, people are streaming to Jerusalem to worship, which is really cool. It's, it's really cool to get this vision of every nation on earth worshiping God together. But here's what's so cool about this in this vision, and what's so shocking, or would have been shocking to is the Israelites who first heard this, is that these names that are mentioned, these different tribes, these different peoples that are mentioned, are not just a, a code word for everybody. They're actually... Well, there's some baggage there. So, for example, uh, Midian and Ephah. This was the, the son. Midian was one of the other sons of Abraham. Isaac was the one that kind of became the, the, the father of the Israelites, but uh, Midian was one of his other sons, and, and, his, and Midian's son is Ephah. Well, if you look at the biblical story, Midian and his descendants, they're like bad guys. They're like constantly fighting against Israel. They are a, a frequent enemy of the people of Israel. And how about this? Uh, Kedar and Nebaioth, they are sons of Ishmael. Ishmael was the firstborn son of Abraham, but the promise went through Isaac. And so, again, you look at the story of Scripture, and these guys and their tribes are at war with Israel. They're constantly at conflict. Uh, Lebanon, I mentioned Lebanon, that was the, that was the province that, of Syria, which was routinely at war against Israel. And then there's the ships of Tarshish. The ships of Tarshish represented, it, like in the biblical imagination, they represented the corrupt, evil, wealthy nations across the seas, like the, the sort of foreign nations that would always come in bringing their wealth and their corruption. And they're usually painted in a very negative light. We did a series on Jonah last year. Remember where he's going to go when he wants to flee from the presence of the Lord? He's going to go to Tarshish. Tarshish, that's bad folks over there. And yet... What's happening in Isaiah 60 is that the Midianites, the ships of Tarshish, the lumber from Lebanon and Syria, they're all coming to worship God together. And so on one hand, you're seeing this beautiful fulfillment of the prophecy or the the promise to Abraham. All nations are being blessed. But this is where I think uh, this vision uh, leads us to a pretty profound realization. When you look, yes, everybody's bringing their gifts to to Jerusalem. Everybody's coming as one. They're all worshiping the same God. That's a unifying thing. But throughout this entire passage, all of these different tribes, all of these different nationalities and different cultures, they're bringing the uniqueness of their cultures and the gifts of their cultures and the wealth of their cultures, and that is what God is using to make his temple beautiful. Okay, like the, the, the lumber from Lebanon is, is going to be used to make the temple beautiful. The, the, the people from Sheba bringing gold and frankincense, those are going to be the, the gifts and the cultural ideas that end up being displayed on the temple and on and on and on. What you're seeing is a striking unity in everybody worshiping God together, and yet there's a striking diversity that continues throughout. People are not losing their cultures, they're maintaining their cultures. The glory of the kings of these different nations are continuing to shine. So it's a beautiful, I I, I think more of like a seed image that shows up in Isaiah 60 that gives us this concept that this fulfillment of Abraham's promise of of God blessing the nations through Israel is not gonna look like stripping away all the uniqueness of the different nations in the world, but bringing their uniqueness into unified common worship. 
Okay, I wanted you to get that idea, just, just establish that idea in your head, because now I'm gonna skip ahead several hundred years to the moment of what's called Pentecost in Acts. Pentecost is when uh, God put his Holy Spirit into the people uh, that were followers of Jesus. And this, again, is, is a huge part of the fulfillment of this promise to Abraham. So in Pentecost, uh, the, there's like a wind that rushes through the room, and all these disciples of Jesus, all these followers of Jesus, uh, they're like little tongues of fire that land on their heads. And then this happens in Acts 2. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. And when they heard the loud noise, everyone came running and they were bewildered to hear their own language being spoken by the believers. And I'm not gonna read it because it gets kind of uh, redundant, but it goes on. And these, these, these Jews from other countries start saying like, how could they possibly know our languages? We're from, and then they list out like, a billion different places, right? So they're just like this, we're from here and from here and we're from Rome and we're from, and they're all hearing the gospel in their languages from the, these, these kind of uneducated backwoods Galileans who definitely don't know like these other languages. Some, suddenly they're speaking. And, and what we're seeing is the very beginning with the Holy Spirit coming into the followers of Jesus. We're seeing the beginning of Isaiah 60 starting to come true. All these other nations are here. But again, I want you to pay attention to this. It could have happened that when the Spirit was given to the disciples, they would all speak and everybody would, would, would hear a common language that would strip away their uniqueness, but that's not what happens, is it? No, when the Spirit is given, they start speaking in other languages. And suddenly the gospel takes on unique uh, character and identity with all the people who are hearing it. Again, this is that striking unity, the same gospel message, but that, that incredible diversity that comes when the gospel is brought to different human cultures and, and languages, okay? I don't want you to miss that because that's the same provocative idea that we see in Isaiah 60. All right. Skipping ahead one more time, I want to skip to the very end, to Revelation. Revelation, uh, where we get essentially John, who's the one who wrote Revelation, he's giving a, his depiction, his vision of, of what the ultimate fulfillment of Isaiah 60 is going to look like. And there are a couple moments that I want to point out. Um, again, I'm just trying to give you guys some of this language and set up these ideas. In Revelation 7, John says, after this I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes, and they held palm branches in their hands, and they were shouting with a great roar, salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. Okay? So you've got all these different nations and cultures and tribes wearing white robes, holding palm branches, and they're worshiping with one voice. But then skip up to, to Revelation 21, and we see a, a, this sort of Isaiah 60 fulfilled. Uh, verse 23 of, of Revelation 21. And the city, this, this Jerusalem, has no need of the sun or the moon, for the glory of God illuminates the city, and the Lamb is its light. Again, the light of the world. The nations will walk in its light, and the kings of the world will enter the city in all their glory. Its gates will never be closed at the end of the day because there is no night there and all the nations will bring their glory and their honor into the city. That's exactly what happens in Isaiah 60. All these different nations are bringing their glory and their honor into the city. What we have here, in my opinion, is a very strong biblical depiction of what the kingdom of God can be 
and what I would say is what the kingdom of God is, which is a community that is strikingly unified, strikingly unified in our, in our worship of one God. Everyone's wearing white robes, everybody's shouting the same praises to God, and yet, and yet, within the kingdom, there is deep and, and profound diversity in the cultural gifts that are brought and the wealth that is brought by these different kings and the glory of these different nations and cultures. These two things are held in beautiful harmony throughout the Bible, the striking uni unification and this shocking and yet beautiful diversity. These two things are true in the kingdom of God. So let's talk about us. Grace Church, because where do we fall in this whole narrative? Well, I'll tell you, we fall between Acts 2 and Revelation. We fall right in the middle where the Spirit has come and has begun opening the people of Jesus up to this new concept of, of being a community that looks like Isaiah 60. We now have the opportunity to do that. We're not there yet. We're definitely not there yet. We're not in Revelation 7. We're not in Revelation 21, but we are on the way. We are on the way, and I believe that one of the key things that is our responsibility as followers of Jesus is to understand and, and experiment with and try out this provocative idea of being a community that resembles both the unity and the diversity that is promised throughout Scripture. That can be true for us, and I think when it is, when we become a community that makes room for others so that we can call out the gifts and the glory and the beauty of different cultures and different generations and different uh, abilities, when we can do that, it is going to make our community resemble the, the beautiful promise that was given to Abraham long ago where we can start to truly live out and demonstrate what it means for the world to be healed, especially in this divided time, especially now. Jesus called his church the light of the world. Remember, we just talked about this. And so I want to say this, and I've got a slide that kind of captures what I'm trying to get across in this series. Grace can be, Grace Church can be the city on a hill that Jesus talked about. We can shine brightly with unity in this time of division, and we can shine with others-focused diversity in this time of self-absorption. We can show our broken world what's possible what's possible. And what's possible is Isaiah 60. And you know why it's possible? Because we have the Holy Spirit who's doing within us things that we could never do on our own. That's what this series is all about. So let me tell you how we're going to do this series. We're going to basically look at it two weeks on each of these three uh, topics. We are going to start by talking about what does it mean to make room as, as, a, as a part of the kingdom of God. What does it look like to make room for people of other abilities? people who have special needs, people who have different abilities in this world. What can we learn about the writings that uh, the Apostle Paul had, about some of the miracles of Jesus, about how we can make room and be a community that lifts up and elevates the values and the gifts and the glory and the contributions of people of different abilities? What could, we, what could that be? It's going to be important. It's going to be good. And we have a guest preacher that I just want to let you know you do not want to miss. Two weeks from now, January, would that be 15th? Don't miss January 15th, guys. Just believe me, all right? After that, we are going to talk about what it means to be a community that makes room for other cultures. We're going to talk about uh, being a community that, that 
you, you know that we have uh, many folks who are part of Grace that speak Spanish, for example. We're gonna talk about why it's so important to us that we're not just creating some, some little Spanish sub-church out there that they can do their own thing. Why we are intentional about making room so that our community can be, can be uh, representative of whatever gifts and blessings every culture are able to bring. We're gonna talk about why we do that. And, and for those of you who maybe find it a little confusing or a little uncomfortable if, if we sing in Spanish and things like that, we're just gonna get really practical and talk about what, what can be going through your head when, when we're singing in Spanish and you don't know how to speak Spanish. We're gonna talk about that and we're gonna explain why. And then Spanish is only the beginning, guys. Why, why we are a church that someday is probably gonna have uh, audio translations, live translations happening in Arabic and Portuguese and other languages too that we don't even know. Why is this important to us? We're going to talk about it. And then finally, we are going to talk about making room for other generations. We are a church that intentionally, intentionally works hard to, to not just be a youth-focused church, to not just be a church that only cares about those who are our elders, but we work hard to bring the gifts and contributions of both the young and the old and everywhere in between. We want to bring this whole community to a place of radical unity and striking diversity because we believe that is who God has called us to be. So that's what we're going to talk about over these next several weeks, and I, I think it's going to be really, really good. But here's what I want to do right now. That's the series. I'm pumped. Uh, yeah, it's going to be good. Let's just talk specifically about what's in it for you. All right, I, I know talking about diversity, it's a buzzword. I mean, it's, it, it's easy. You know, everybody's talking about diversity, equity, inclusion. It's like, oh, are we just going to be like PC? Is that what this is all about? No, it's not. And I want to tell you something from my own personal experience. You, have, you individually have something profound to gain. From, from making room as, as Jesus taught us, okay? And I want to just speak specifically on some of the things that you might learn, uh, some of the things that you might gain from, from growing with us in this. So making room. Number one, here's what's in it for you. Making room will help you, what did I say, grow. <laughs> will help you grow. Making room will help you grow. Uh, when I traveled around the world, I got to tell you, the more that I, I kind of submitted myself to the, the wisdom and the values of other cultures, I, I grew more than I could possibly even describe. And I'll tell you one story that I've told before, but just it, it bears repeating, because this is what happened. When I was in Kenya in 2005, I lived there for the full year, and uh, there came a point about four months in that I was like, man, I just, this is all very uncomfortable for me. And I was like very frustrated. And I, but, but I knew I had been given some advice that when, that when you hit that wall, you have a choice. You can either leave or you can learn to just dig in and, and just go palms up and submit yourself to your Kenyan hosts. And I, I chose the latter. Thank God I chose the latter. I decided I'm just, you know what, I'm just going to die to myself a little bit here and start listening to what my Kenyan hosts have to say. And my uh, host family, Muhia Karianjahi, was my, was my host dad. I love Mo. And he and I would go out on the porch every, uh, every Friday morning and have chai and talk. And he would just kind of mentor me a little bit. And one day he said, Barry, uh, I want to tell you something that might be a little bit hard to hear. Are you open to that? And I'm thinking, all right, do I bail or do I <laughs> go palms up? I was like, Lay it on me. What do you got, Mo? Well, we would often have guests pop over, and I'm kind of an introverted guy. I would really rather just spend the night like in my room reading a book, but, but whenever guests came over, we all had to go into the living room and spend hours and hours, I don't know, making small talk. And I would do whenever—I know, it's the worst, right? Uh, I would do in those moments what 
I don't know what every good American does, red-blooded American, when, it, when you have to do small talk, what do you do? You talk about yourself. And so I would just like, I don't know, tell stories about baseball or anything, whatever was on my mind, because I'm just like trying to get to 9 p.m. or whenever they're going to leave so I can go back and read a book. And, and I would do that without even thinking about it. And that morning on that porch with, with the chai, Mo said, Barry, when we have guests over, you always make it about yourself. And in this culture, it's very important for us to, we, we want to shine a spotlight on our guests. We want to lift them up. We wanna, they're the most important people in the world to us. That's part of our culture. And what you're doing is actually very dishonoring to our guests. And, and by extension, it's dishonoring to us. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I didn't know. But he was right. And I, did, I, I had never thought about how ridiculous it is that all we ever do is talk about ourselves, but for the first time in my life, I got to see myself under a microscope because of another culture's contribution. His vantage point on, on what I consider to be normal changed me, and I started noticing again and again how often I would do that. I came back to the U.S., and I noticed that everybody else would always do that. All we do is talk about ourselves, and I began a journey of learning how to step back and, and put the spotlight on someone else. It changed me. It was profound. I grew because I made room in my heart for another culture, okay? That can happen for you. It will happen for you. It probably already has for many of you, but it's true. It's what happens when we make room in our hearts to, to let our lives look a bit more like the kingdom of God. Number two, making room will help you learn. Uh, when I first became a pastor, I, I mean, I was still in pretty young. I was pretty darn young when I first became the uh, candidate to become, to be considered as the successor to the senior pastor. When I first started that, I was young and I, I had to rely a significant amount on uh, the other pastors who were around me who had gone before me and had spent many, many years in ministry. When I first joined, literally the first day that I joined staff, I learned that there was a family that had been a part of Grace that chose to leave our church because the dad of that family and I had had some conversations and we disagreed on like a theological point and they immediately left the church when they found out that I was gonna be even considered as the next lead pastor. And I was, I was so upset about that. You know, I was like, oh, we gotta, how could this be in that, that one specific theological point that I thought was so important? I was like, we've gotta, we gotta, we gotta declare, we gotta, we gotta do something about this. We have to move, we have to, what? And the pastors who were around me, my dad, Chris Shore, others, they, they just, they helped me calm myself and reminded me, this is a long game that you're playing here. This isn't about, you're not gonna just snap your fingers and, and you're not a tiny little ship. This is a giant boat and, and turning takes time. Calm yourself and just wait. And in time, in time, you'll be able to have opportunities to influence and to teach. It was something I never would have come to on my own because I was young, I was hungry, I was ready to change the world. They reminded me that this is not about uh, achievement. This is about a long process of transforming a community. It changed me because I made room, thankfully, for other generations. And then finally, and by the way, that can happen for you. Probably already has. I just want to make sure you know that. Finally, this. Making room will help you meet Jesus. Will help you meet Jesus. And for this specifically, I just want to talk about some of the ways that I have met Jesus through um, some of the people with disabilities that I've encountered in, around the world. And I'll talk a lot more about this next weekend. But when I was in Ukraine, and I first started engaging with Mission to Ukraine and the incredible work that they do, uh, especially with kids with disabilities, 
I had never really spent much time with people with disabilities, but I was kind of thrown into the deep end there, and I saw uh, some, some profound disabilities and things that I, I had a really hard time even reconciling with my understanding of the world. It was painful, it was challenging, but one of the moments that stuck with me that I'll never forget is there was this one little girl named Nastia, and Nastia had progressive muscular dystrophy, and it was, it was so much so that she could barely speak, and really all she could do was smile, and she smiled. I knew that, that this condition that she had would likely take her life. She was not gonna be able to live for much longer, but when she came to classes at Mission to Ukraine, she just lit up a, the room with her smile. And I, I, you know, I don't know, kids and I seem to understand one another, and so whenever I'd see Nastia, I'd make silly faces at her and stuff like that, and she would just light up, light up, and, and that, I didn't, there was no language there, it was simply her presence that in my life began to change me. And I'll tell you, I went through a significant time of wrestling with my faith at that point, because I couldn't understand how God, a good God, would allow someone like Nastia to have this condition. It didn't make any sense. And to be honest, I still struggle with that sometimes. I struggle with that. And yet what I could not deny is that when I looked into the bright smile of Nastia's face, when I saw the, the glimmer of hope and life on her, on her face, I found myself encountering Jesus. I found myself meeting the, the, the Savior who cares I, I saw Jesus in the way that she smiled. I saw Jesus in the way that she was cared for by Mission to Ukraine. I met Jesus, and I didn't have an answer to why God would allow Nastia to suffer, but I did have an answer to where God was in the midst of it. If I had not made room to see Nastia smile, if I had not make, made room to open my, my heart up and my mind up to what it might be like to see and value the contributions of people with disabilities, I never would have experienced that. It transformed me, and guys, it can transform you too. We're gonna talk next week about how people with disabilities have so much, so much to offer us, and we are weaker if we're not looking for and building on their contributions to this church. It can change you, and you will meet Jesus because of it. Well, you know where I stand on this now. I want Isaiah 60 to be true here. Yes, we can say it's all coming someday in Revelation 7, but if you look at Acts, if you look at Pentecost, that is proof positive to me that what began among the disciples of Jesus on that first, that first uh, day of Pentecost, it can happen here. And we can start to be a community where the glory of God, the light of God rises and shines over us because we look like the kingdom that he promised. Let's pray. Well, Father, I know this is, is perhaps aspirational. I know we're, we're, we're a community that, that it's easy to talk about these things. It's easy to pat ourselves on the back when we feel like, look how, look how diverse we are or whatever. But Father, I know that truly you are not satisfied until, until this world is transformed and healed in Jesus' name. And so, Father, I want to be a part of that transformation. I want grace to be a part of, of changing this world to look like the kingdom. I want Isaiah 60 to be here. Ships of Tarshish and the, the, the Arabian tribes and the cedars from Lebanon. Father, I want to beautify your temple with the gifts of a diverse crowd. Father, can we be a reflection of your kingdom in this place and in this time? And can we shine like a city on a hill, to show our broken world what's possible. Father, teach us, shape us, 
We love you. And we pray this in the name of Jesus who made it all possible in the first place. Amen.